0: Welcome to Breaking the Barrier podcast. I'm your host, Arya Sternberg. It's good to see you again. Uh, As it's the first episode, you wouldn't be new to the format because it's the first time, but we're using the Kudo platform to go beyond the barriers of language. Uh, We're interviewing a wide range of people about their experiences and the role of language and how it's played in influencing where they are today. Um, Just a brief introduction to Kudo. Kudo is a multilingual conferencing platform that allows us to converse among multiple languages in real time simultaneously. If you're watching this in another language you already know uh, what Kudo does and you're experiencing what it is. So if you're watching Kudo on Kudo uh, you can choose the language you want to watch in. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook you're obviously watching the language that uh, you selected and Kudo lets you cross borders, beyond language restrictions, and connect with anyone, anywhere, in any language. Now let's meet our guest today. Uh, Roberta Baraka is a professional interpreter. She is also a voice actress and has done uh, some very interesting things in her life. Aside from being one of our own certified KUDO interpreters, Roberta has extended her specialization to encompass wellness through working meditation and spirituality. I won't spoil Roberta's amazing story. So let's turn it over to her. How are you doing today, Roberta?
1: Hola, to bem. Hi, I'm doing fine. It's such a pleasure to be here, and it's an honor to be here in the first episode of Kudu Breaking the Barrier. Thank you so much for the invitation, Ariad.
0: I'd like to go to my first question. Can you tell us about your experience mixing interpretation with what you have learned about voice acting?
1: So my work with voice as a voice talent, a voice actor, it's not actually acting. My work with voice happened through interpretation, actually. I started developing uh, work as an interpreter for meditation and neurosciences and People would really enjoy my voice. They would come to the booth, not only to compliment my work as an interpreter, translator, but also to compliment the voice. So, these same clients who hired me to do the interpretation job also asked me to do some voiceover, to maybe record the uh, meditations for them. And this is how it all started this interest, this curiosity of uh, my clients with my voice. So I thought, well, that's interesting, you know, maybe I can work also with this segment. So it's not exactly acting, but it's something that resulted from my interpretation gigs, uh, this desire and almost a need uh, demand that came from my own clients in terms of also working with recording my voice for their uh, meditation, especially meditation.
0: And, and so when you took the experience of, I suppose, I, I'm, I'm assuming you're, you're, you're speaking about using English. So when, when you took the experience of using, I suppose, English or, or Portuguese or another language to inflect emotion uh and sort of deliver a um a guided experience if you will how did you then take that experience and bring it back to uh your interpretation work
1: well i guess these things go hand in hand actually this uh these meditation jobs i do of interpreting interpretation masters Uh, spiritual guides, spiritual masters, and they would speak in English and I would interpret it to Portuguese. So this will involve not only the interpretation of the content itself, but also it would involve, uh, you know, which is different from most events and works we do as a conference interpreters, it will also involve having a different tone of voice, a different hue, because you're guiding the person through meditation, you're conducting them, exactly, it involves your emotion, your heart, you're conducting something in a journey to a transcendence state, essentially, so it does change. You know, the pauses are extremely important, breathing is extremely important the way you breathe because for instance if i'm guiding a person during a meditation and this is a moment where you stop you think you breathe you have to reflect if you're guiding someone during a meditation but my own breathing is short is fast and anxious I will impact the meditation. I will not be able to conduct that meditation correctly like the master is doing. And there's there's something of um, of you really have to be in sync. The interpreter really has to be connected, you know connected with the speaker, almost you know channeling the speaker and in a perfect you know sync. And you also have to be in that calm state. I can't guide uh, a whole audience, an enormous audience, to meditate, to relax, to go above and beyond if I am not calm myself, if I'm not feeling calm myself and almost meditating along with them. So it's totally different really from most jobs we do as an interpreter. It's totally different. It taught me a lot. And it was very interesting.
0: Before going on to the next uh, next question, just on on this one, uh, you know, my my wife is actually Brazilian, and um, m- most of our friend, our friends in Australia, are Brazilian. And I remember um, meeting the son of of one of our friends and speaking with him in English, and 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 he was felt Australian, you know, Australian mannerisms and how he acted, and, and uh, then he jumped over to a conversation in Portuguese with some of the Brazilians and his body language changed his facial feature you know every, everything changed and that sort of nonverbal side of communication changed and I, I guess you know in when you're communicating and and you know depending on what the content is uh, a part of I think what's really c- critical and and that we miss in in a lot of the interpretation that I've seen is that transformation that transition of not just the language uh, but also everything else what, what do you think about that
1: oh no, it's perfect exactly i i only say that we have of course different uh, personalities i guess depending on the language we're speaking i feel like a different roberta when i'm speaking in english and uh I guess we change our persona. And I see this also in my daughter. My daughter, she she is bilingual. She's very bilingual. She learned both Portuguese and English, you know, very young. So I see how her personality changes when she's speaking English and when she's speaking Portuguese. It changes, really. So this is also part, you know, as an interpreter, when we're also interpreting, this is a little bit of... um, the adaptation we have to do in interpretation not only of uh, the content not only the cultural ad- ad- adaptations but also the mannerisms, you know, if we're going to speak in Portuguese, the way you speak, the Brazilian way of saying things, and then if we're interpreting into English or to whatever other uh, language, it, you know, it's all also, you know, the, 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 the stance, the way you say things, there's always these hues, each language, each culture will have a certain way of saying things. So I see that too, the same that you saw in your Brazilian friends in Australia. I see the same thing, you know, there's a total difference. In depending on the language
0: you're speaking. Definitely. Um, I mean, fa- fascinating. And we'll we'll talk a little bit later about some of, some of that that translation of of how things work. Um, on a different note, uh, I understand that you, you you were a language teacher uh, before being an interpreter. How did that influence your career as an interpreter, and and what was the the transition that moved from you know teaching to interpreting?
1: It influenced a lot, actually. I would even say that it was the essential part to allow me to want to become an interpreter. I studied in an American school in Brazil since I was a little girl, so I was I learned how to read and write in English and then in Portuguese. So you know, being bilingual was always part of my life. I always had the two languages very strong. I would speak Portuguese at home and English in school, so when I concluded school, I decided to study journalism. I didn't even know interpretation existed. It, you know, I had never even heard about interpretation or this career. So I went to study journalism. It was one of the traditional careers of journalism, engineering, medical school. So I decided to do a traditional. So I studied journalism because I always wrote very well and I loved communication. So that's what I did. However, at the same time, I was very young and I started teaching English because I always was strong in English. and I wanted to make some extra cash. And she said, well, go ahead, you know, go and teach English, my mom said. And so I did it. I started teaching you know, private lessons. I was, I don't know, 15, 16, very young when I started teaching private lessons. But, you know, by teaching English, this also became an actual career for me because I started to have more and more students. And I said, well, you know what? I know how to teach English. People are actually learning English. I'm good at it. I have a natural method that, that people that it's helping people. So I started teaching in uh, schools, language schools, at the same time I was doing uh, my college. So when I was in college, when I finished college, I was already making money as an English teacher. And if I were to start the journalism career, I would start as an intern making nothing or close to nothing i said ah you know what no i'm not going to stop making what i already make as an english teacher to then you know go you know lots of steps back and get a little just make next to nothing i already had a daughter at the time and i said you know what no i'm going to continue my career as an English teacher, my mom almost died. She didn't love it at all. She said, what do you mean? You studied, you went to college, you're going to teach English. Are you crazy? Are you nuts? But it was exactly what I loved to do. And it was, I was making money compared with what I would make in journalism. So I just continued teaching English. And then one day, a student of mine said, you know what? why don't you do simultaneous translation? I said, what? Simultaneous translation? You know, you have to listen and speak at the same time. I said, yeah, you, you, you're dynamic. You know, you communicate well. I have a, a man, she's an interpreter, and I guess you should do it. You should try it. I heard about this uh, class, I don't know where, and I said, you know, you should try it. And I said, you know what? I'm going to try it. And so I enrolled in the interpretation class, and I, I loved it. I loved it. And I said, it's a transition. It's a natural transition from an English teaching uh, career to something that would be an upgrade. So it was a good uh, natural transition to me. And what I guess I really, really helped, you know, for these many years teaching English was first, I had to learn. Uh, I had to learn in order to teach, you know, the best thing uh, to do when you have to teach, you have to learn, you know. So I knew grammar and this gave me a great basis for my English career, and I also had, as a rule, not to speak Portuguese with my students ever, ever, not even with beginners. So to explain whatever to my students, I had to invent, I would show pictures, I would dance, I would do gestures, I would mimic stuff, I would sing, whatever, just to make them understand. But I would never say a word in Portuguese. So this gave me, I don't know, versatility, flexibility, and I was theatrical even. So it brought something, you know, theatrical even to my classes. And this is something useful to me until these days in a booth. You know to have resources, you know, you always find a resource, you're creative. The way you maybe you might know that exact word, you have a different way of saying things and explaining things. So it was very useful to me. I was, it was, you know, one foundation, another brick, and then this built a really nice house.
0: No, that that's uh, it, it, it's a fascinating always to hear how people, you know, progress in their careers. Uh, my first career in um out of university, it was actually as an English teacher in Japan. And I tried to do what you described, but um, the, the, the Japanese society is a little bit less um, entertaining of, of doing things that are not really sort of the, the way it's done um, yeah. to the extent where uh, you know, I had studied Japanese and, and spoke some Japanese and I wasn't allowed to use Japanese in the classroom to explain how to pronounce uh, an English word. Um, so, you know, and I, you know, I got to the point where I was just sort of pulling out the hair that, uh, I normally longer <laughs> have, which is maybe one of the reasons I don't have it. But um, yeah, I've, I, I, taught some English in, uh, in Taiwan, uh, for a friend of mine and taught, I think they were like two to five-year-olds and that was a, d- a different experience as well. Uh, but for another time. Um, I actually have been waiting to ask this question and this is what really kind of piqued my interest Um, and uh, just a little background. My my parents are students of um, neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. Wow. Um, And they uh, studied actually with the people that invented NLP in the the 80s in Colorado. Uh, And uh, Tony Robbins was in the class with my mother. Um, And so I've I've always kind of followed his career, and I know that he uses NLP among among other techniques. Um, but you know the the old days of you know different ways of doing NLP and mirroring and and you know and all these all these things I kind of grew up with. So um, I wanted to ask you, uh, what was it like interpreting for Tony Robbins? And to the conversation you were saying before of you know taking the energy that he has and transforming that for the audiences that you were interpreting to.
1: Super cool. I didn't know you have this history, you know, at home, you know, such a close contact with Tony Robbins. That's super cool. Well, first, I manifested Tony Robbins in my life in a certain way. He materialized. I was already following his career and reading his books and stuff. And then a friend joined the interpretation team and I said, you know what? Oh, I wanted so bad to be in that team with you. And uh, this event is like me, you know, it's exactly like me. And then one of the interpreters got pregnant. And this this friend of mine referred me to replace one interpreter who was pregnant. And this is how I joined the team. I was, you know, visualizing this event in my mind. And so well, I manifested this into my life. So Tony Robbins started in my life through a manifestation, a willing I haven't counted how many events, but the last time I counted, I had like 13 events. So probably maybe 15 events by Tony Robbins. Each one is uh, four to six days each, approximately. It was, and it is still, a uh, amazing, amazing journey. I absolutely love interpreting uh, Tony Robbins. Uh, there are, of course, many challenges, but all of these challenges help me grow as a person because of the content such an interesting content but also as an interpreter it's amazing you know first he is i wrote down a couple of things so i wouldn't forget he speaks very fast first of all he's a fast speaker this is of course a challenge however it's wonderful because today When someone uh, is talking about another event where you had a fast speaker, I said, easy peasy, because since I interpreted Tony Robbins, no other speaker is truly fast. To me, he is the fastest one. Anyone else would be fast, but not as fast as Tony Robbins. So everyone is easy after you interpret Tony Robbins in terms of the pace. And it was also interesting because in the first day of the event, I got there, I was all dressed up, you know, like a conference interpreters in my suit, high heels. I was using, using you know, my, uh, my pantsuits and like a conference. And I, I learned that Tony Robbins, you have to dress as if you're going to run a marathon. You you know, you have to be comfortable pants, sweatpants, sneakers, running shoes, because, you know, to keep the same level of energy, he's always on the stage. He doesn't sit. He's standing all the time and he's jumping all the time and he sings and he screams and he will clap his hand. So in order to convey the same level of energy, we almost never sit down. We stand a lot while interpreting. Sometimes we we will also jump with a muted microphone so that we can up our energy. So, you know, the way you dress has to do with, you know, a marathon runner. The other challenges we are confronted, well, I'm I'm talking about challenges, but, you know, these are wonderful challenges. I'm talking about these challenges as something joyful, as you can see in my expression. Another challenge is that he uses a lot of um, music, lyrics. Uh, He doesn't use music just as a background music. These are hymns. So when we saw this, we started to create versions of those lyrics in Portuguese to help us. So, for instance, there's a music that he always uses, which is Life Will Never Be The Same. Life is changing. He always uses this this song. We created a Portuguese version. So when he starts singing, we we can sing in Portuguese too, because Brazilians have to understand why that guy is up there on stage, you know, screaming, you know, his lungs out. He uses it as a hymn. He uses that something energizing. What is also interesting, and he used lots of swear words, but he doesn't use swear words, uh, you know, easily, without any reason. He, in the first day of the event, he will explain that he read a book called Taboo Words. And in this book, a psychologist, I can't remember the name of a psychologist, he explains that some words are taboo when they're used, they will shock your nervous system the person will have that initial shock and so he uses these words with the clear intent of shocking people to change to wake them up to something new so we were thinking about initially we're thinking about should we filter a little bit these all these swear words should we tone down because interpreters conference interpreters normally no We are sophisticated people. We're educated people. We're not going to be swearing all around the room. But we had to stop and reflect. You know, should we maybe tone down? Maybe if we've toned down these swear words, uh, won't we be changing uh, his whole methodology and really not helping our listeners? And we concluded that we couldn't filter or tone down because there was a reason behind of all those swear words. So... We interpret whatever swear word he uses. And it's interesting to see. We have one colleague in the team. She's a very sophisticated lady. She's very sweet and she never swears. So it was interesting to see her. It was difficult for her to swear. You know, it was like, oh, almost wouldn't come out her mouth. You know, that's exactly like, you know. And now she's, when she goes to the booth, she already understands that it's part of that assignment part of that content and now she will just you know swear at ease but it's an amazing journey it's wonderful
0: it makes me think of uh watching the actor that did uh golem in um lord of the rings and the hobbit and just seeing seeing a human you know transform in you know into that with the with the body motion capture but uh, you know i think that you know part of especially if you're um you know, Im- embodying, uh, you know, the energy and, and it's not just the content, but it's the energy and, and the, the entire experience of, of Tony Robbins, even if it's, even if they're, they're only seeing your voice, hearing your voice, seeing your voice, hearing your voice, but hey, seeing, they can
1: you know, almost see it. <laughs> it's almost <yeah>. visual.
0: <laughs> using NLP language. I feel like Th- that is really important. And, and getting that feeling across, even if it's only through through voice, uh, there's so much that we can do with voice. And, and while, you know, I, I guess the, the, the power of something you mentioned before, uh, the, the power of language and how we use it, um, you know, a, a, a parent chastising a child and just the tone, you know, no versus no, you know, it's, 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 it's very different. Uh, and that's different in different languages. Uh, and different cultures, and even different uh, dialects of different cultures. So, you know, when when you're in another country and learning and and watching and experiencing what's going on, you can visit somewhere for two weeks and go to some nice places and, you know, take pictures. But unless you're actually looking and seeing how people are engaging, uh, you're not really going to take away uh, what's going on, you know, the, 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 the idea of what are you doing by doing that, and then how do you interpret that? That's I think where the uh the power is um my last question, and i, I do you have time for one more question? Yes see oh okay um the the last question you know i th- I think that there's so much content out there that now that we have you know platforms like Kudo that can actually allow us to do this sort of simultaneous interpretation, it would feel like content creators should be jumping on the bandwagon and, and using you know this this opportunity. To get their content out there to to people and audiences that uh, that can't do that, do do you think that we're we're ready to begin doing uh, that kind of uh, diaspora of uh, of content and getting it out there?
1: We are ready. What do you mean by we are ready? you mean kudo the world, the content providers?
0: I think the I think the world and content providers. Uh, I think that a lot of content providers don't. Don't realize that uh, they they could do they can do this. You know, um, if you have ten thousand people in an arena, uh, most of the world right now we can't do that, um, but we can get ten thousand or hundred thousand or ten million uh, streaming and watching a, a piece of content. And if it were communicated outward to you know different audiences that this content is available in you know another language, you know it would seem like a no-brainer. And I, I personally haven't seen much of that available from a digital perspective, only, you know, in, in larger arena events and, and things like with the, the likes of Tony Robbins and those levels of of, uh, of names.
1: The other day, I was listening uh, to an interview by Fardad, Kudo CEO, and he said something that was quite interesting. He said, there are no uh, no longer barriers. We have videos, we have phones, we have audio, we have everything. There are no longer barriers. The only barrier that still remains, it's language. So, and KUDO is here to solve this last stretch, this last barrier that can still hinder communication through you know, other borders, countries. It's still language there. So, if we want to talk about globalization, actual globalization, if we really want to talk about real globalization, we have to, of course, talk about talking in other languages, using different languages. Recently, I had the case of a company. I convinced this company. They were doing all their events in English. And most of the clients or customers were Hispano, uh, Hispanics, uh, Brazilians, and Haitians. So I said, you know what? You have to talk to these people in their languages because you are buying products from you. And they even might say, oh, you know what? I sort of speak English or I speak English. But for them to perfectly understand what's going on your product, use their native tongue, use their native language. And they saw how this could add value to their business. And they love the idea. And we have now a long-term contract, you know, a monthly contract and where we host events for them uh, continuously. So this, once, once people perceive the value of speaking and reaching more audiences and in the way that they truly understand in their native language, then that's it. All the barriers are done. That's it. And this is when we're talking about a true globalization where everybody can understand each other.
0: That is the... Exact reason, and I couldn't couldn't have asked for this, but uh, that's why this is called breaking the barrier. Um, and you know, the, the, there's there's the sound barriers, there's the you know the, the other other barriers, but I think l- language is one of those ones where the the difference between b- building rapport with someone and not really knowing if they're getting it, and absolutely knowing that you know that nod and that look of understanding is, is what you're looking for, and I, it's a very different example, but uh, when I go to the uh, the Ben Mi sandwich shops in uh, in Sydney, um, I always order in, in Vietnamese when I when I know they're Vietnamese, and I always get just a little bit more stuffing, a little bit better <laughs> topping, just you know, and as much chili as I want versus you know the little bits of chili. Um, Rebecca, uh, sorry, Roberta, thank, thank you so much for your time uh, and an amazing story today. This has been fantastic. And uh, I, the audience out there, please join me in thanking uh, Roberta. Well, also, uh, thank you, Anna, for your incredible interpretation. That was fantastic. Before we close for this episode, we want to introduce our first barrier breaker. This is someone who has done something incredible in their lives, broken through a barrier, either personal or professional, something that stands out that we want to recognize and show everyone that it's possible and we can all break barriers in our lives. For today, we'd like to recognize Rosa Parks. She was an African-American activist in the civil rights movement, best known for her pivotal role in the Montgomery Bus Boycott. Back in 1955, on December 1st, in Montgomery, Alabama, Parks rejected the bus driver's order to vacate a row of four seats and the colored section of the bus in favor for a white passenger once the white section of the bus was filled. This went to the U.S. court system and was stuck in moving around until November of 1956 when the decision that bus segregation is unconstitutional under the Equal Projection of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was passed. The United States Congress has honored her as the First Lady of Civil Rights and the Mother of the Freedom Movement. Thank you, Rosa, for standing up. And that's it for today. Remember, wherever you go, there you are.